Welcome to Episode 6, Part B. My name is Rob Marshall and if you missed Part A of Episode 6, we'd encourage you to go and have a listen to that particular episode. It has a heap of news around WA Country Cricket, including uh, recent results from Country Week, recent results from our Country Cup, our Belt Up Country Cup that's just completed, plus a heap of other information that we think is vital for anybody who's involved with WA Country Cricket at this time. Part B, we've got an amazing journey ahead. We've got one of country cricket's true legends. We try not to throw that word around too much, but this is somebody who you'll find it hard to dispute is a true legend of WA country cricket. He's had a career in country cricket that many would argue stands almost alone. He was and is one of our uh, greatest products when it comes to the Australian Country Cricket Championships, a former Australian Country 11 player and Australian Country 11 captain, one of the most capped players ever for WA Country 11 and certainly as captain also. His participation and his input into Senior Country Week and the Country Cup over a long period of time is absolutely phenomenal. An A-grade local captain and a multi-premiership winner. He was known for many, many years simply as the Master Blaster. And he is one of the toughest competitors that certainly I ran across in my time in playing West Australian country cricket. And I'm speaking, of course, of Glen Deering. We also have a special component of this particular episode where we look at a game of cricket, one game of cricket that was played back in 2005 in WA cricket that is now folklore. It's known as National Sav Day now. And if you're not sure what that is, I encourage you to stick through this episode. It is one of the most phenomenal games of cricket ever played in West Australian country cricket. So put your, uh, your headphones on, Put it on in the car, on the tractor, wherever you are right now, and tune into episode six, part B, the amazing story of Glen Deering. So welcome to episode six, part B of Out on the Paddock. Absolutely thrilled. I'm interviewing uh, one of the legends. We use the word legend very carefully these days, but true legends of WA country cricket, and we'll unpack why that is. Glenn Deering, welcome to Out on the Paddock. G'day, Rob. Thanks for having me. And uh, before we start, can I say congratulations on a, uh, a great initiative uh, with what you're doing with this podcast. And it's, uh, it's really good for the country listeners out there, so it's excellent. Well done. Yeah, we called it out in, in part A that uh, we're just getting phenomenal engagement and loving the opportunity to not only have this communication channel to be able to speak with and, and, and call out stuff that's happening across WA regional cricket, but also the opportunity to have some chances to speak to somebody like you. So thanks for coming on on the show and we're really uh, looking forward to the next half an hour or so to unpack a little bit about Glenn Deering and his life in WA country cricket. But before we start, it would really be remiss at the timing of this uh, recording of, of today's episode we're, we're both sitting here somewhat in a bit of shock because it's less than 12 hours, or last night, we found out the news of the passing of Shane Warne. Yep. We also found out about the passing of a great West Australian cricketer in the form of, of Rod Marsh yesterday morning as well. So I, I think it would be remiss if, one, we didn't, you know, send our condolences into the cricket world yep. uh, when it comes to the passing of those um, incredible... You know, we talk about legends. They are true legends. Absolutely. Um you know, obviously both of those were pretty influential on your cricket career at some point. In- yeah, definitely, Rob. Um, and as you say, it's, you know, it's a sad 24 hours for not just Australian cricket, I think it's world cricket because they both are you know, legends of world cricket, particularly Warney. Um, and you think about it, you think, you know, Marshy's 72, you think, oh, okay, still too early, uh, but he's had a decent innings. Yeah. Whereas, um, you know, Warney at 52, that's just, you know, it's just devastating news. He's... Um, you know, absolute legend of world cricket. You know, one of the best, one of the biggest. And at 52 years of age, still got so much, you know, life to live. It's uh, terrible, terrible news. And I think, I think the thing that, uh, whether you love or hate him, that's really irrelevant. I think the thing that I've noticed is his maturity <coughs> as a commentator of recent years. You know, he's he's clearly got an understanding of the game that 
most of, um, you know, even other legends perhaps don't have. His ability to read the game in the commentary box is, is quite phenomenal when you look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you go back to his playing days, he, he had a great cricket brain and um, a lot of people said he would have been a great captain, which I've got no doubt he would have been. Um, unfortunately, his off-field uh, endeavours yeah. uh, probably um, stopped you know, that from happening, but uh, definitely had a great cricket brain and um, that's coming through in his commentary now. Sometimes I really think he struggles to, to get that across the board, sometimes yes. in, the, in the right way, but um, what he's thinking, you can tell he, he, his brain clicking over and, you know, what the thought process is. Um, yeah, definitely very, very talented uh, cricket brain, that's for sure. So a really sad day for... Australian cricket, world cricket, as you called out, but, uh, you know, with in particular Rod Marsh obviously had some connections with WA country cricket at various stages as well. I know I can well remember him coming down and doing some uh, sessions in Harvey. Um, so, you know, basically we, we mourn those losses greatly and it's one of those moments I think we're all right now going, you know, it could well be, you know, where were you when you heard about Chain Warne sort of thing, yeah. you know, in the same way with Philip Hughes and... Lady Di. Yeah, Lady Di and <laughs> Steve Irwin maybe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's, yeah, it's a very sad time. But I don't, I don't want to diminish the, the, the chance to really um, celebrate your cricket career and talk a little bit about your journey because... Um, Clearly, you've got uh, more than most to tell when it comes to this, the story of WA country cricket, and I'm, like I say, really excited about the opportunity. Um, one question, you know, you and I have known each other for quite a while now. One question I've never asked you, and I don't know the answer to, born and raised in Bunbury? Uh, born in Bustleton. Right. Uh, Dad was in uh, Telecom, so old Telstra, uh, and moved around a little bit, but... Uh, born in Bustleton, and I was about six years of age. We moved to Bunbury, so yeah, spent pretty much pretty much born and bred in Bunbury. Uh, other than you know four or five years in Perth, moved back here. So yeah, Bunbury uh, through and through. So there may have been a few moments if they'd known about it at Country Week when you were belting up the Bustle and Margaret River boys that they might have uh, you know asked for a father son draft or something <laughs> like that. Perhaps. Possibly, or, yeah. possibly. <laughs> did did Dad play cricket or no? He was never a um, big into his sport. Loved. Loved watching it, uh, football, cricket. Lived in sort of Bassendine area. Um, he's, that's where his family uh, sort of raised him and his siblings. So uh, loved his sport, but never really played. So it was it was quite interesting when I first started. You know, either football or cricket. Um, Dad was very encouraging, you know, to play as much sport as possible. And he's also very good. He still plays tennis now at, at seventy eight years of age. He's wow. um, really good with his. Uh, racket, hand-eye coordination sports, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I played a fair bit of badminton as a kid as well. Yeah. Um, but your dad was big into tennis, uh, badminton, table tennis, that sort of stuff. So, but yeah, when I first started, um, you know, dad didn't have all these uh, the great coaching techniques and things that he, he didn't know about them. But he quickly learned, well, well, wanted to learn as much as possible because he wanted to give me every opportunity that um, a father should. So I suppose uh, he quickly learnt, you know, about the elbow up and head um, head over the ball and all this sort of stuff. So he was very, very quickly um, was teaching me or coaching me yep. all the basics. So, yep. yeah, certainly I am a fair bit, that's for sure. And mum, did she play sport? Um, not as much. What your mum's name? Yeah, Trish. Trish, yeah. yeah. So John and Trish. Um, uh, mum uh, played a fair bit of badminton. Yep. Uh, probably because dragged along with dad. Um, my older brother Craig didn't play at all. He was played a bit of hockey, uh, did a bit of cycling actually. He actually raced against Steel Bishop. Oh, right. And beat him once. Yeah. yeah so, so that's Craig, a fair claim. Yeah, well, Steel Bishop was a world champion at the yeah. time. And uh, Craig knocked him off one, one night up at Collie Velodrome. So um, <laughs> that's his claim to fame. Um, Sister Robin was um, very good at sports, you know, netball, basketball, and badminton. Yep. Um, got to state level at badminton and uh, she plays a bit of golf now. So. So the, the family obviously growing up was, you know, on a weekend very much involved in sports somewhere or even during the week. Yeah. You know, it's, batty back in the day on a Thursday night or whatever. It was 24-7, yeah. Robert, yeah. tell you right now. <laughs> was, um, and mum still tells the story now. Like when I was a kid, you know, I'd be in the backyard, I'd, I'd spend an hour of playing footy and I'd go and change clothes and then go and play an hour of, of tennis against a brick wall and then go and change clothes or an hour of cricket or something like that. 
and she'd have the end of the day three sets of sporting clothes to, to wash <laughs> each night. But, yeah, never once did she say, you know, settle down, stop this. And mm. uh, they were both very encouraging parents and um, certainly owe them a lot, so that's for sure. I think that story will resonate with a lot of blokes listening, a lot of ladies listening yeah. that uh, have grown up in sporting families of the, you know, sort of 80s, 90s sort of thing because that's what you did, wasn't it? You know, well, we didn't have, well, if there was TV, it was black and white. Yeah. Uh, there was certainly no computers, no iPads, no, no phones. Yeah. And it, it does worry me a little bit, yeah. uh, the kids these days, how much time they do spend on these these things. And, um, <laughs> you know, I try and encourage my kids yeah. uh, and my stepkids to make sure they put it down for a little while and, and go get some fresh air and go and play basketball at the back or play, play cricket or footy or whatever it may be, just do something. Go yep. for a bike ride. Yep. Go for a walk. Take the dog for a walk. Yep. Just get out and, and you know, um, smell the roses a little bit rather than just sitting on the, in your bedroom or wherever you are on your phone or an iPad. It's just a little bit scary. It is, it is and like you said, you know, Back in the day, we're sounding like we're old codgers right now, which <laughs> well, we, we are. are, but uh, back in the day, you just didn't do that. I think I've called this out before. I can well remember growing up in Harvey, my dad would coach uh, our junior cricket program, had 100 kids playing junior cricket on the Harvey Primary School and a few other um, ovals around there. And at the same time, my mum was coaching 100 kids at the tennis club. Mm. So I would... Uh, often on a Saturday after getting out, especially if I got out for a low score, would whip over and have two sets of tennis and then come back and bowl late overs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just something you did back and, then. And we didn't get yeah. tired, Rob, doing no. it, you know. I remember <laughs> playing juniors on a Saturday morning, seniors on a Saturday afternoon, and then going and playing association cricket all day Sunday. Yep. And, yeah, you'd, be, you'd sleep pretty well Sunday night, yeah, but you'd yeah. never complain no, because no. that's what we love doing. And yeah. then you'd unpack the whole lot during the week with your mates at school. Yeah. You know, every ball that was bowled. Absolutely. Because <laughs> you got nothing else to do. Yeah, that's right. Other than school work, which I wasn't very good at. <laughs> so to that degree where you, you've come to Bunbury and, um, you know, probably most people who know you would know, associate you where you're sitting here with your Maris Cricket Club shirt on right yeah, now. Yeah. Was it? Was it, did you get involved with Maris right from the get-go or who yeah, was your was, junior club in Bunbury? Yeah, it was Maris, but it was a funny uh, funny start for me, really. I was I just fell into it, so to, so to speak. Um, family friends of ours uh, lived around the corner from us. We must have been over there on a Friday night, you know, having a, a catch-up dinner and a few drinks and things like that. Not me, of course, but yeah. not that age. Um, <laughs> and so when Mum and Dad went home, I said, oh, can I have a sleepover? So... Yeah, no worries. So uh, the late Ashley Knight was the guy's name. I um, followed him down to cricket next day and they lived literally 100 metres from the Bunbury Catholic College back oval and that's where they played the juniors those days on the, on the hard deck there. And uh, we get down there and they must have been short. You know, I'm not sure exactly what age we're talking, Rob, seven, eight maybe. Yeah. Um, I've, I've tried to think about this but I can't exactly remember. Anyway, um, the coach says, oh, have you got your white shorts at home? I said, yeah, of course I have. All right, well, go and get them. You're going to fill in for us. No worries. And and still to this day, Robert, I don't reckon I've ever ridden a a bicycle as quick as I did that day. (laughs) Quickly sped home, told mum what's going on, put my white shorts on, back down to uh, the the school oval. And don't remember much about that first game, to be honest, other than the start of it, getting asked. But I do remember something about that. That first season, um, my top score was seven. Right. And this one day, I hit a four. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, how good is this? <laughs> and I fell in love with the sport. Yeah. Probably that first day, but yeah. particularly that day, I made seven. Yeah. But I hit my first boundary. Yes. I, what a feeling that was. Yeah. I went home, told mum and dad about it, and yeah. told every kid at school that week. And, yeah. You know, I just couldn't talk about it enough. And I thought I was a superstar at you know, hitting this. <laughs> One boundary making seven, <laughs> top score a year. But um, that was, yeah, that was my my uh, initiation to cricket. And Ashley was a year or two older than me. I can't remember exactly. I think he's a year older. Yeah. So two years older he is because he's Sean Creasy's age. Yeah. Glenn Buck's age, these sort of guys. Um, sorry, not Glenn Buck, just Sean Creasy. So from there I was, I, I can't really, really remember my second or third year, but I obviously became fairly decent pretty quickly. Uh, and then we are fortunate, I've heard on one of your previous um, guests from Jared Marcus about how Jack Birkinshaw, mm. you know, came to Southwest Cricket or Bunbury Cricket. Mm. And myself and, and whoever else was involved were, were so fortunate 
that that happened because um, Jack just took. We didn't know what professionalism was, but yeah. it, it certainly he sort of certainly brought a professional uh, approach to the game yeah. uh, down here. Training, yeah. carnivals, organising all this sort of stuff, and um, we'd never really had that before. So yeah, I was really fortunate because uh, when I was now probably ten or eleven years of age and and you're showing a bit of ability, uh, Jack, you know, lobbed on our shores. So and. Once again, even more fortunate that he sort of took a liking to me, uh, sort of took me under his wing, and I was sort of a bit of a protege. Even to the extent, I don't know if you've got this in your notes, Rob, but um, remember when he used to do a bit of coaching during the test match, the lunch break yep, of the test match? remember it well. Well, yeah. I was that little blonde-haired kid, yeah, uh, yeah. hopefully with the straight bat. <laughs> on GWN On TV. GWN TV, yeah, yeah. Yeah, remember so, it well, yeah. Uh, yeah, as I said, you know, very fortunate he took me under his wing and yep. uh, took a liking to me, so... I probably got the best of, of uh, out of Jack Bergenshaw, that's for sure. So, still, well, still great I, memories about. I think it was his on time. the la- last episode. Chris Waddingham was bemoaning that yeah, you got all the attention with the batting, and and Jack only gave him some bowling tips, so he missed out. You, that he, he blames you for not being a better <laughs> batsman, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, Jack um, was an off spinner as well, off spinner uh, bowler, but a you know, top order left hand bat. So, um, I wasn't bowling off in those days, but certainly batting wise, he. He certainly saw something there and he, he sort of took me under his wing for sure. So very fortunate. Well, two, two takeouts of what you've just said, some, some really good insights there. One, the bit about you scoring a four and thinking that was the greatest thing that had ever happened. Yeah. I think that's, that's a story for now. You know, coaches, I wish coaches would celebrate more with kids when they have just a moment like that. Absolutely, you know, it's, yeah. It, it is. A, there's some kids that, that I can remember in Harvey, you know, in junior cricket, anybody who hit a four was a was a legend yeah. that week at school. And I remember one kid hitting a six. They put on a ticker tape parade down Newduck Road for him, <laughs> yeah. you know, in Harvey because it was yeah. like something no one had ever done no, before. That's right. And, and you're dead right. We should we need to celebrate that a bit more because yeah. there's nothing like enjoyment. Yeah. Right. And and we all well those that have done it, we enjoy hitting the boundaries. Yeah. Uh, it's a great feeling or taking a wicket. So, and that's what we need the kids to do. Uh, enjoy the game more because once you enjoy something, you become better at it. Correct. Because you want to do it again. Yeah. And then when you're really good at it, you stay in the game for as long as possible, like we have, because we were pretty good as kids because we enjoyed it. Yeah. So it all flows together. So enjoyment is the key because um, you enjoy something, whatever it be, you know, it's sport, um, work, business, relationships. Yeah. You've got to be, you've got to enjoy it yeah. to make it be good. Dead right. So, yeah, no, it's a great, great call, and and it is something that I would love to see more in the in the coaching of community cricket in particular. You know, don't focus on the kid who just took five for a hundred. You know, focus on that, yeah. celebrate that, yeah. and nothing wrong with that. We yeah. absolutely call it out. But also the kid who hasn't hit a four before. We we had a, a player last year in in I think it was my year nine or year ten team who hadn't made a score above um, 12, I think it was, and his dad promised him that if he did, he'd get a new bat. Yeah. <laughs> and it took him all season in the second last game. He, When he got his 13th round, the whole team ran out onto the ground yeah. and celebrated awesome. with him. You know, that, that's what you want, you know. We we uh, we put a lot of focus on high performance and we, we don't diminish that. It's huge for any sport. Yeah. But at, at, at the other end, you've got kids who are just playing because they, like you had that joy of just playing. Yeah, that's all it was. Absolutely. And, and then you then you see it blossom after that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, so, he'll go into bigger and better things. Correct. And mm. that, and I believe that's exactly what's happened this Perfect. season. He scored his first fifty. Well, there so, you go. Uh, Perfect. So, and the other one is 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 the call out that you made around Jack Birkinshaw. And I'd love through this podcast for however long we can hopefully have success with this is to make people aware that the foresight of Peter Sillinger and yeah. the program he created with Jack, which we now know as our country manager programs, positioned in every regional area of WA, the foresight of that was huge mm. and it has changed. I would suggest we're going to talk a little bit about Australian Country Cricket Championships and the success that WA had during your time. I would say a lot of that goes back to those moments. Oh, absolutely. I think you could really say that it was before its time. Yeah. You know, you look at what's going on in, in cricket circles these days, the setup we've got with, you know, um, country coaches and um, 
you know, professional people in, in positions to help the game develop. Yeah. This was before its time. Yeah. And myself and whoever other kid yeah. came through that system. Yeah. We were so fortunate, so lucky compared to, I feel sorry for kids in different areas that weren't as fortunate to have someone like a Jack Bergenshaw, yep. you know, bringing them up, coaching them, teaching the game of cricket. Yes. Um, no doubt. That's why I think Bunbury, you know, obviously a, a bigger population, but our development, our quicker development, uh, certainly held us in good stead come Country Week and Country Cups and these sort of things, Carnival. So, absolutely, yeah, very, very lucky. So let's start to move into that zone. Um, one thing I remember clearly. Uh, you know, I'm a couple of years older than you, but I can remember, uh, again, growing up in Harvey and uh, I remember establishing my first business and I used to have a little bit of time that I could sneak away and read the Southwest Times and this would be sort of mid-80s, I'm guessing, and I started to read Georgie Goodwin's articles on what was happening in the BDCA. We were playing in the uh, what was called the Harvey Murray competition at that time, but I was fascinated with the BDCA and I started to read about a team that he would kept calling the Minnows, Marist. Yeah. And so there was obviously a period of time, most people playing now see Marist as this powerhouse cricket club in Bunbury, but there was a period of time when Marist was just emerging and you were part of that. Yeah, uh, and don't quote me on the exact dates or years, but it was early 80s, you know, 81, 2, 3. We had the school team going away in the, the Marist College Carnival every year. Yeah. But we sort of, you know, Dad was pretty in, integral in this, and Neil Creasy, the two main instigators, we, we needed a team that the guys could play together on a weekly basis rather than just get together once a year for the school carnival. So they said, look, yeah, it's, you know, they come up with Marist Brothers, or that's the, the college, Marist Brothers. So we come up with Marist Cricket Club and put a team into, I think, Seagrad, I think we started in, mm-hmm. um, and the boys had a, uh, a bit of success. I don't think I played the first season or even two, but I did come along, I think I was 13, uh, we were still playing C grade, possibly B grade, with Dad's work at um, Telecom, a guy by the name of Dennis McAdee was mm. uh, good mates with Dad at work, and he was a, a legend of country cricket at the time, very, very good bowler. He was involved with a team called Forest Park mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. And Dad thought, well, hey, I need to get uh, Glenn playing highest possible level. Um, Maris don't have an A-grade team. Let's go across to Forest Park. And I reckon now he, he, he planned this all perfectly. So I went and had one year at Forest Park and an A-grade, and it was, a, it was a great learning curve. Um, some very good careers back in the day. Yeah. And I was only, I'm only small in stature. So I was, at 13 years of age, I was pretty small still. <laughs> I see big Desi Gardner charging in from the, uh, the sight screen at the rec ground. It was pretty daunting. But um, what Dad's planned, I reckon, is um, so one year with Forest Park and a dentist, the guys at Maris have, must have been B grade, they've done quite well and seem to think, right, we're ready to go into A grade now. So Dad not only bought myself back, but that's when we're the, the big coup of Dennis McAdee come across to Maris. Maris, as, right. um, Yep. Definitely captain and probably a captain coach yes. role. Yeah, he, so, I mean, he was a, an amazing cricketer, Dennis. Yeah, and, so uh, the, the good young kids we had, yeah. we just needed that senior, uh, you know... Influence. Influence, guidance to talk to us and teach us all about this A-grade cricket. It's so much more competitive. Yeah. So, yes, we were the minnows in George's eyes. So <laughs> that's sort of how uh, the cricket club started. But... Yeah, it didn't take us long. We got uh, mm. we became pretty competitive pretty quickly. So yeah, but geez, it was strong comp back in the day, Rob. Yes, some, some great cricketers. Certainly was. That's when I started to uh, get involved in in the late eighties with uh, a Harvey team that came in for a while yeah. under Peter Shine. Yeah, um, and I think I've called it out a few times. Some of the most crazy cricket, you know. Facing Steve Bazo, you talk about Desi Gardner. Desi was sharp, but Steve Bazo was steaming in off about five paces and was about 14 yards quicker. Yeah, so, yeah, well, yeah. It's right. that was a couple of years later. Mm. I got to face Steve in, in mm. our grade. And, um, the late, great Steve. The late, great Steve, yeah. yeah. yeah I was fortunate. I also played a bit of footy with him at Swan. So. Yeah. Um, but he was he was very slippery cool. and and scary. He was a bit of um, yeah. had a bit of a mongrel about him as a fast bowler. Yeah. Didn't mind hurting people or hitting no. people. Yeah. Hit me a uh, few times. And they're the scary bowlers. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, they're just 
outright fast, skillful bowlers, and not too bad, but when they want to hurt you or like hurting you as well, that's when it became pretty daunting. So, um, And as, as we talked on the, the last episode with, with Watto, it just seemed like every team had three or four bowl, three or four genuinely fast bowlers. Yeah, and yeah. I can remember, you know, thinking, oh, we've seen the openers off and then the next guy that would come on would be quicker than the openers. You yeah. Know? You know, there was some incredibly quick it was bowlers. And interesting listening to, to Watto's um, segment, um, he, he mentioned some names that I'd sort of forgotten about. Yeah. And, and uh, you think about it, you think, wow, yeah, you're right. Yep. It was uh, long and strong. Yes. Both, both bowling yep. but also the batting orders, yes. you know. Yeah. Uh, you get down to number six and he can come still knock a 100 off a 100 uh, run a ball sort of thing, you know. So some, certainly some good depth back in the day, that's for sure. Absolutely. So as I did with, with Chris, um, I've, I've dug into your My Cricket um, uh, stats <laughs> and uh, had a bit of a look. Now, as I also called out with Watto, clearly for players of our age, demographic, the records in my cricket are only a partial record. They're not the full record. So I'm going with the fact that um, my cricket generally kicks off around 2005-06. You start to see um, records starting to be tracked uh, 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 fairly comprehensively from that point onwards. Um, so... From that point to now, my cricket says you've played 285 matches with a highest score of 144. Uh, best bowling, and I know you're pretty proud of any bowling you do, so uh, <laughs> four for 35. That was probably against Harvey Benger, I Yeah, reckon. we'll need to talk yeah. about that, Rob. Yeah. We'll need to talk about that for sure. <laughs> uh, but this is the incredible bit. 8,348 runs at an average of 33.9, strike rate of 133 with 1,300s, and in total, 89 wickets at an average of 27.55, which uh, might come as a bit of a surprise to some who only see you as a batsman. But like I said in the last episode, in your case because I know you started around that 1985, 84, 85 sort of period, I'm going to double that. So I reckon I'm going with you've scored in excess of 17,000 runs in your career and with as much as 30 hundreds and I'm going with about 600 matches. You know, that's probably the best I can come up with. with yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to how you're coming up with that and I'm trying to work out myself and I, I really can't myself, but... One thing, you know, we're talking about those stats on my career. I'm 34, 35 then. Yes, correct. Probably past my best, I reckon. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, so that's what I've done. I've gone, kind of factored that in. Yeah. You've, 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 you've scored 1,300s according to my cricket. I'm going with maybe another 20 on top of that prior to that. Yeah. But, uh, hard to gauge. Very hard. I'd, I'd love, I'm working with uh, the guys at my career. We're transitioning into um, Play HQ as of next year. Mm. I don't know how it can be done, but I'm, and this might excite a few older guys. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way that we could actually bring those stats from those previous years in. Very difficult with... Uh, it'd be great if we could, just we, to show these young blokes that... Yeah. <laughs> How good, how good we were, Rob. I know. But, I, I, um, the, the boys at Leshnell reckon I had the head wobble up the other day, so I'm saying <laughs> my cricket calls my highest score out as 83. I'm telling you, I scored at least, you know, a dozen hundreds that yeah. aren't recorded. But yeah. uh, uh, anyway, we won't get too deep on that. No. This is uh, your story, by the way, but not mine. So, But whatever way you look at it, uh, Glenn, it's a phenomenal career and we'll, we'll get into that's just based around club cricket mostly, then we, you've got your Australian country cricket uh, uh, records as well, which we'll talk about in a moment. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, you've, you've, you've joined Marist. Marist have started to get some success in the BDCA. Yep. And, yeah, certainly by the 90s, Marist was a force to be reckoned with in, in, yeah. in cricket. Yeah, as I said, so we, it didn't take us long. Uh, George called us the Minnows for a couple of years. Then we started being... Uh, became pretty competitive. So uh, towards my 15, 16, 17 years of age, um, I don't think we won a flag, but we were, we were competitive, played a bit of finals. Then I started moving to Perth and playing a few games up there and um, moved to Perth full-time at 17, uh, 18 years of age and then came back about 24, 25. So... That's when I remember we really had some some uh, strong success at Marist. Yeah, uh, it was a pretty handy team. You know, I don't name too many names, but when you throw in Paul Tamazi, Chris Waddingham, 
you know, Adam Spinelli, Ross Wintle, these sort of players, um, we had a pretty strong team and those were the core players for 10 years. Yeah. So you're bringing in a Matt Anderson or whoever else may be for four or five or six of them yep. either end um, and, you know, Paul Reynolds and yes. Wayne Murphys yes. and, and these sort of blokes. So it's uh, Steve McGee. Yeah. Jeez, we had... Some some depth, some real good depth, and um, that's why we're so strong for for such a long time. I think you are telling me because uh, <laughs> there was Not a, you guys pe- a few pe- period of time there where the biggest um, game going around was Murray ver- Maris versus Harvey Benger. I yeah. remember it well, and they were oh, they were phenomenal games of cricket. They they were great great yeah. games, and and didn't matter where we were in the ladder. Generally, we were both in the top four, but it didn't matter uh, and what time of season. It was a it was a mini final, yeah. And then when we played each other in finals, finals yeah, it just the level went up again. It did. It was um, yeah. It was uh, really really good cricket, good tough hard cricket. It certainly was. So let's move on to talking about your your movement into the WA Country Eleven. Can you remember when you first got uh, picked in the WA Country Eleven? Yeah, uh, moved back from Perth. I'd I'd gone to England in '93. Still playing in Perth at the time, but because I had to quit my job, sell my car to go to England, and so I didn't have any to move back to when I came back from England. So I moved back in with mum back in Bunbury. Uh, I was previously I was living in Perth, so found a job down here pretty quickly. So then I started travel to Perth. Uh, so I'd probably now 24, 23, 24. I uh, did that for two seasons and just got to a stage where. Because I wasn't training with the guys, um, and that's the, the level up there is still so much higher than uh, A grade down here. So I was training down here with Maris, which was great, but it's just not the same. So I did that for a couple of years and just really struggled with uh, form. Um, so called it quits up there, moved back. I reckon I was 25, and um, John Zalliger was mm. the captain at the time mm-hmm. of Country 11. Mm-hmm. And a guy by the name of Ian White uh, was, was very instrumental in getting myself, myself, Dale Burns, Jeff Wooten, these blokes from the country that had experience in Perth cricket, Wacker cricket. Hang on, let's get these guys with all the experience now of playing that high level, let's get them playing country 11 and we can be really competitive there. So that first year, we were all of a sudden competitive for the first time really of country 11 and then the year after, we won it for the first time ever. You know, it was a, a really quick transition. So uh, Ian White had a, a huge role to play there, but also the players that had came from, you know, 80 to 100 games of Wacker A-grade cricket, now bringing that into country cricket, rather than just, no disrespect here, but rather than just a really good country cricketer playing country 11, now we've got a really good country cricketer with 100 games of Wacker experience yeah. under his belt. Yeah. That's the difference. It's just a different level again. Yeah. So, yep. you know, we had three or four of them. Yep. Then all of a sudden, WA were, yep. were strong. Yep. We went the easy beats like we used to be. So uh, that was some great times. Um, so what, what was your first carnival? Where did, you, where did you go to first? First year was Toowoomba. Toowoomba, right. Yeah, I think that was... Mid-90s is yeah, where mid-90s. I'm taking it at, yeah, yeah. from what I've read. And then might have been 96, 95, 96, yeah. I think... 97, 98 was the year we won it. It was, um, yeah. I'll call it out now. Yep. So my take on it is you were part of the first ever West Australian team to win an Australian Country Cricket Championships, which yep. was in Mount Gambier in 97, 98. Yeah. I'm guessing you were, what I referred to it in the last episode, were you in the 0203 in Bundaberg that won? Yeah. Yes, you were. I yep. think he mentioned you were skipper at that point. Uh, and in Mount one. Gambier? Yep. yep. Okay. And then... Ultimately, and I think this was your last carnival, you won it in Bunbury in 2011. Have I got that right? Yeah, I made a comeback. Yes. Uh, I'd been retired for about five or six years from Country 11. Yeah. Went into roles of chairman of selectors, things like that. Just wanted to keep, you know, finger on the pulse and give a bit back. Um, and then Shane Robbins, you know, a good friend of mine, but also played a lot of cricket together. Um, he was the chairman of selectors and another good friend of mine, uh, Brendan King was the coach. And so I was 40 at the time, mm. but I was still in decent form down mm-hmm. in local cricket. And they thought, well, they had a good young team. They had a good young kip, skipper in Rodney Ford. Mm-hmm. 
they thought, hang on, let's approach Glenn, see if he can have one last hurrah. Um, Tim Bunbury is in form. He can bring some experience to the team and help Rocket. So they made me uh, vice-captain yep. under Rocket. Yep. Um, Rocket was a great leader of men yep. just by doing. Yes. You can just see that. You know, yeah. Blokes just wanted to follow him. Yeah because of his deeds that he performed. Not a great talker, pretty quiet, shy guy. Um, so maybe the, the combination of the two of us uh, worked well, but um, it was Ross Knoll's birthday just the other day. Yeah, I saw that, yes. And it had to mention, put a photo up of the, you know, the winning, winning team that day and uh, some great memories there, so. It was a phenomenal tournament. It, it pretty much defined... Bunbury, you know, the legacy of that still going on now. You yeah. see sight screens all around the grounds in Bunbury yeah. and Harvey and Donnybrook covers. Yeah. All of that was a result. Great work by Peter G, who's yeah. who's added it all up. I had the I had the uh, task of organising the ACA match that year. Yes. Where the Australian Country Eleven played the the yeah. ACA when we had hands the likes oval. of Terry Alderman and yeah, Hands Oval, Terry Alderman and Murph Hughes, Murph Hughes played that Greg game. Matthews, Bad yeah. Hog, yeah, Tom yeah. Moody, yeah, phenomenal yeah. carnival that that particular one, um, and a great way for you to finish off your career. Now I've got your stats here for Australian Country Cricket Championships, but I can only find them up to just before that carnival. So, right. again, there's a little bit of an addition. But, so as of 2010, you'd played 40 matches in the ACCC, which put you in the top five of all time. You'd made 1,626 runs at an average of 41.6, which at that level is phenomenal. Uh, a higher score of 194. I'm guessing you remember that one pretty well. Yeah, good day. Uh, good day out, yeah. <laughs> Two centuries and... A uh, couple of major call-outs. As of that, those stats that I've been able to find, you've still got the second most runs in a season in an ACCC ever of 501 runs and an average of 125.25. I think that might have been Mount Gambier. I Correct. Think. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you're only topped by, uh, for those tuning in that are uh, in the veterans, the state veterans teams that I'm involved with now, Glenn was only topped by a guy that we know very well now because he's still playing in that, uh, called Peter Solway. Yep. Uh, Pete's still, uh, he's in our Australian over 50s, believe it or not, with Steve Golan and a few other uh, of our uh, state players. And you were named in the team of the first 25 years of the Australian Country Cricket Championships alongside from Western Australia, Tuck Waldron, who's uh, episode one of Out yep. on the Paddock, and Dave Francis. So pretty amazing, amazing uh, time Clearly, from your perspective, other than, uh, you know, personal goals and things you've achieved, that's got to be up there with uh, something you're very proud of. Oh, and, yeah. and, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you were named as captain of the Australian country team at some point, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yes. the, um, that Mount Gambier. Yeah, one. Mount Gambier, yeah. 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 So, and fortunate enough there to play, you know, the, the good thing about those sort of things, obviously it's a feather in the cap, but... You got to play international touring teams. Yes. You know, I'm actually quite jealous of what Tuck Waldron did. Yeah. So back in the earlier than my day or our day, Rob, uh, they played those guys yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, that had sort of fallen by the wayside by the time we sort of started playing Country 11. So yeah. that was disappointing. But, um, you know, good on those guys. It was awesome. Uh, and I was at the, the rec ground too that day. The West Indies were here and yeah. the day Tuck was smashing them everywhere. So yeah. I'll never forget that. And, um, but yeah, look, it was, uh, that's, they're great experiences to play, um, represent the country, country 11, of course, but it's still the same. And um, to play against a touring team was, was pretty special. So Pretty special, yeah. There's, there's one stat in there, Rob, you've missed. Uh, anything about bowling figures? No. <laughs> Because I'm sure blokes like, you know, you know all the big fast bowlers at Marist, your Waddinghams and your Tamazis and your Wootens. Yeah. These blokes have they've all played country level and all been very, very good bowlers in the day. But no one's no one's taken a fiver for country level. Well, I I did actually run across that, but out of respect for those guys, I deliberately didn't put that in there. But as soon as how you've brought it up, you're welcome to uh, bring it out. It's your story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I just thought I'd just throw that one out there because... <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm sure they'll be listening and I'm sure they'll be, uh, they've been waiting for it, no doubt. Well, I do want to get to a particular game, yep. okay? I want to talk about, um, so your successes at Maris, your successes with the Australian Country 11, uh, sorry, the WA Country 11 and, and also the Australian Country 11. Um, 
huge, but also I know you, you're very proud of the record you had um, both playing for and skippering the BDCA at mm. Senior Country Week and, and uh, the Country Cup. I was privileged to play in a, a final on the Wacker with you as captain in 2006, I think it was, when we beat Albany um, uh, in the Country Cup final. So I uh, got to in, in understand a little bit about that and uh, enjoy that. But without shadow of a doubt, probably the game that has defined not only many country cricketers, even to this day, but I'm suggesting even to a point you, uh, because of its legendary status. We had it a couple of weeks ago. For those who follow along on social media, you may have seen a call out on the 20th of February being called National Savage Day or National Sav Day, I think it's yeah, called. Yeah, that's the one. Because on the 20th of February, 2005, there was a match, and we're going to pick up on a thread of this in, in future uh, out on the Paddock podcast uh, with different guests. There was a match played that is clearly in folklore now of WA country cricket. And, and so it should be too. Yeah, yeah. Um, unbelievable. So I'll just let the listeners get a little bit of an understanding because there'll be plenty of, uh, that tune in that may not be aware. So on the 20th of February 2005, um, the final of the the uh, what we now call the Belt Up Country Cup, which uh, recently wrapped up um, here for this season, was played at the Wacker Ground between Bunbury and Geraldton. Yep. Uh, huge rivals back in those days. And um, basically, uh, to cut a long story short, Geraldton won the toss and batted first. And um, I've got the stats here. The first pair uh, put on uh, 226 in 30 overs. Um, I'm interested to hear about some bowling figures in all of this, uh, especially because I had a couple of mates playing in that in the form of John Crocknally and Ryan Redfern, so I'm guessing their figures weren't real flash. I don't reckon they'd want to mention them, Rob. No, no, although Johnny Crocknally did apparently get the first couple of wickets. So um, basically, Geraldton ended up at three for 378. Remember, this is a 50-over match. Um so I, I actually, I, I am going to call it out that um, I think uh, Ryan Redfern and Johnny Crognarly did have the best uh, figures in that uh, innings and Johnny's figures were two for 62. So I don't reckon he's got that up on the mantelpiece. No, um, but when you look at the whole scheme of things, 62 off 10, Yeah, that's pretty good out of three what? <laughs> 378. Yeah, you'd take 62, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd take that, I reckon. So I'm guessing when, you know, as we do, you guys sat down to have lunch in the Kim Hughes room or whatever, I'm guessing there wasn't a lot of um, thinking that Bunbury were going to take the uh, Country Cup that year. Um, so let's go through what happened after that. Um, got off to a pretty shaky start with Clint Hewson out for a, a duck uh, back in the pavilion, according to, to my stats. But then... It got worse after that, and at one point, Bunbury were six for 160. Remember, chasing 370, so that's as good as probably being six for 40. Um, and things weren't looking good, but in amongst that, before we get to the main part of this story, things unfolded for you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened about that time? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, for me, uh, it's a little bit bittersweet, Rob. Um, obviously, some great... End, great end result and some great memories about that, but uh, I, w I wasn't there for the finish of it. So, <laughs> um, part of the time, Michelle, uh, heavily pregnant, uh, we'd gone up on the, I think it was a long weekend, and we played local cricket Saturday. We had to go up on Sunday for the uh, semi finals and then stayed the night for the final the next day. And, um, you know, I'm touching base fairly regularly. Keep your legs crossed, you know, keep them closed, you know, um, hang on for another 24 hours sort of thing. And <laughs> so that was Sunday, wake up uh, Monday morning and, uh, yeah, how you going? Oh, you know, having a few little movements and I think, oh, no, just hang in there, hang in there. So get the game. Uh, Michelle's brother, Clint, Clint B, was playing for Jilton. So that was good. Um, had someone there while I was on, out in the field. So, yeah, we lost the toss. We've had a bowl first, and um, at 10 over mark, the Geraldton boys are none for 100. <laughs> just like the flattest deck ever at the Wacker. Um, and they were just playing the shots from ball go. Yeah. And weren't missing either. Mm. Like, they were just smashing us everywhere. Yeah. And I thought at the time when I got the phone call, I, I, one part of me was disappointed, another part of me was pretty happy, <laughs> I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and um, 
So, yeah, I 10 over mark, I've got the phone call. Well, someone boundaries got the phone call and called me off. Mm. So I'll get onto the phone, Michelle back down here in Bunbury and, yeah, going into labour. So, wow, here we go. So, Sav, Richard Sav was, was vice captain and the guys knew what was going on. So it wasn't a surprise when they saw me going. Yeah. They just thought, right, well, here we go. Yep. Dero's gone. Uh, we, you know, over to you, Sav, you know, it's your team now. So Anthony Mangano was the um, team manager. We had Desi Gardner, who's the, the association president at the time. So I was keeping in touch with them, mainly Mango, uh, driving you know, down the freeway. I was just waiting for the phone call back in Bunbury to say, look, oh, it's okay, just a false alarm, go back to cricket. So I was driving really slow. I was on the freeway at 80 k's an hour, Rob, just waiting for this phone call. It's just so I didn't get too far down the road. But it never came. So I, um, as I said, bittersweet because uh, missed out on the, on the magnificent innings of of Sav yes, and, we'll get and to in a moment. that yes. win, yes. but uh, I was at the birth of my son Cooper, so. Yeah, yeah, you, you got to weigh that up yeah. and uh, I don't think you're the first sportsman to have to have, make that tough decision and I think you made the right one because uh, oh, yeah, sure. I'll call it out, your, your boy Cooper is an absolute ripping kid, absolute beauty and uh, a fair cricketer by the way as well. He's going to write so. and he'll, he'll love his name being mentioned here Rob, don't worry about that. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, shout out to Coops. <laughs> yeah, he's a ripping kid and I, uh, I reckon he's uh, going to continue to go places as a cricketer so uh, good call. But let's go back to the match. So you're you're down down in uh, Bunbury with Michelle, and, and in the meantime, back at the Wacker, uh, six for 164 in the 29th over in a 50-over match, chasing 378. Uh, enter one Richard Savage out onto the ground. Um, he partnered uh, Ross Newton for a little while. The best part of this story I love is that. Uh, Johnny Crognarly batted with him for, for a fair distance of this partnership and we'll get to Johnny's score in a moment. But uh, let's just go through Sav's innings. So Sav's walked out at 6 for 164. Sorry, Rob, just to interrupt there. Yep. Let's just go back to Jordan. 3 for 378. Yeah, I know. Off 50 overs. It, it is unbelievable. You, you it, would give yeah. no one a chance, in no. hope and hell, to, to chase that down. It, That's like a phenomenal say, score. Over lunch it must have been... Let's just go back to Bunbury now. For, well, now yeah. go back to Bunbury, but yeah. let's go back to the start of the innings. Yeah. What were we? Six for 129. Six for 164. This is. Yeah. I thought we were less than that. When Sav came in, I thought we were about 629 in the 29th over. When yeah. Sav came in. I'm taking it off uh, some uh, recordings that I've put together. Right, so you, okay. you, you, you would know better than me. So let's. let's but let's, I wasn't there, so. Let's stoke with that. <laughs> so Sav's walked out. So the listeners want to. If you've uh, sort of uh, you're on the tractor right now and you've tuned out, tune back right in right now because yeah. you, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> so Saz walked out zero to fifty. So he's brought up his fifty, his first fifty off nineteen balls and with four sixes and four fours. Yeah, just got, got just warming there. up. Just warming up. He was. He was just warming up but exactly. You, and Rob, you would played against Sav a fair bit, and the Geraldton boys and the Bunbury boys remember this. Sav was a nervous starter. Yeah, he was a terrible starter. So I believe it was like second or third ball. He's pushed for a quick single to get off the mark and should have been run out. All right. Should have been run out that. for naught. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so they've they've missed a chance there. And uh, as I say, just warming up. For, was that 19 balls for his first 50? For his first 50, but it, like you say, just warming up because his next 50 came off 15 balls. Yeah, full with, stride now. With four sixes and four fours. And I'm, ta- I'm hearing stories that... We're talking into the second or third row of the printable stand at this point. Yeah, which, well, Clint, uh, Clint B, he'll know all about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get we'll get to Shane Bidwell a little bit later yeah, as Biddy, well. Yeah, Biddy's there but, as well. Uh, yeah. Then he went from 100 to 150 in 17 balls with three sixes and three fours, and then from 150 to 172 off eight balls with three sixes. Mm. And at that point, with, uh, with still two overs to spare... They passed the passed the score of three for three hundred and seventy-eight. Now, uh, in a very large partnership, which I don't have the exact partnership here, but it was well over a hundred partnership or one hundred and fifty run partnership with Crogsy. With Crogsy, with John. Yeah. John made ten. A, a magnificent ten not out <laughs> up the other end. So played uh, his role to perfection. Yeah. Though. Just got the big fella back on strike. <laughs> so, so that's, that's phenomenal. One hundred and seventy-two or fifty-nine balls. Now, you. you Talk of some great innings recently. I heard um, 
yeah, last series, whoever it was, they spoke about a few scores up north. Yes, yeah. Like, no disrespect to the guys up there. I'm sure it's great cricket. Yeah. But it's a little bit lower standard than what we're talking about here. We're talking about the best of the best of, of country cricketers. Yeah. So that type of innings, under that pressure, chasing 370 to start with, coming in at 630, and to come out and make 172 or 59 balls. So we had 14 sixes and 11 fours. And as I said, bittersweet because I wasn't there, but I, I hear stories that square driving balls over point <laughs> for six, but not going any more than 10 metres high, <laughs> that's how hard he was hitting them. I heard one bloke apparently mid-off, there was like a tracer bullet to him, should have taken the catch, but just pretended he had thalidomide <laughs> bloody arms, because otherwise his hand would still be on the ball now. <laughs> well, now, The I... best thing about it, not the best thing, but a great, great part of great side stories, one of the sixes here in the printable stand, because the ground was closed, that side of the ground, uh, they couldn't get the ball back. So we had to get another ball, apparently. But an older guy might have been on the curator's team or score, uh, scoreboard, I think, maybe. Yeah. Might have been a scoreboard attendant. Went up there the next day yep. and found that ball. Oh, right. Gave it to, found out who the president was, Desi Gardner. Yeah. He said, right, give this to that kid. Yeah. And it was a great little story that yep. that year's association wind up, yep. Desi presented to Sav. Yeah, wow. That, that ball. So great little side story, that one. Absolute phenomenal story. I'm led to believe it's still the fastest 150 ever scored at the Wacker, my uh, my scribes tell me. So, it takes some topping, isn't it? Yeah, it, I can't imagine, well, maybe, you know, Glenn Maxwell's century in the T20 recently, uh, but we're talking a different game in a different way and smaller boundaries and stuff like this. Yeah. on full-size boundaries yeah. the yeah. whole lot <laughs> and we're talking that, that they weren't big enough. So, no. amazing. We're going to continue to pick on this story over future episodes. And because, rightly uh, so. It, it deserves I'm, all the attention it gets. I'm very keen to get uh, Shane Bidwell on from Geraldton because I hear stories of, um, you know, sort of recurring nightmares that are going on to this day. You know, yeah, and it'd be good to get... 15 years later. ...someone from the opposition, their, their take on the story. So yeah. even though we're doing, you know, bring up bad memories for them. No, but, for not, phenomenal uh, cricketer. I think it'd be a great right, side Shane. story to, to hear someone... Uh, well, from someone uh, Absolutely. from Absolutely. A, a legend of WA cricket himself, Biddy. Yeah. So yep. uh, looking forward to maybe trying to arrange that. And, of course, a shout-out. Hopefully we can get Sav himself on at some stage. Well, but, that uh, would be the icing and the cake, wouldn't very, it? Very modest man. Very Sav. modest, very yeah. shy, yep. and not a great talker. But if you could get him on, Rob, that would be a feather in your cap for this podcast, that's for sure. So we're going to have to wind things down. Uh, we could, uh, as as happens with all of these episodes, we could talk for another two or three hours. Uh, I did have a, uh, uh, you mentioned before, um, uh, Rocket Ford. Um, I did, I had the privilege of, I think I mentioned this in part A, that I had the privilege of going out and playing a match two weeks ago out at uh, yeah. Narragin with Rocket as, as our skipper for the... Uh, for the, the old dogs versus the young guns. A shout out to all, all the guys who played in the old dog side, had an absolute r- ripping time out there with, uh, with those guys. Um, and I think that one of the things that um, you've called out through your story today is that we do have some amazing cricketers right across the length and breadth of WA country cricket. Absolutely. We, we started this episode talking about Shane Warne and, and, and Rod Marsh, who are on a world stage, but yeah. we celebrate players like yourself and Rocket and, and so many other cricketers that we're hoping to get uh, current players right now who are phenomenal cricketers in WA country cricket. And it's it's been an absolute uh, joy to, um, to hear your story today. But I wanted to finish... Um, Firstly, by giving you an opportunity, you know, obviously there's been lots of contributors over your career and your family and, and your kids and stuff like that. Did you want to give a shout-out to any of that? Yeah, just mainly the the, uh, the family because I've had that many different coaches throughout my time. It's, uh, but thanks to all those sort of people for being um, supportive, but especially mum and dad, especially the early days, Rob, you know, it was, um, you know I played a season in Perth as a 15-year-old playing uh, under 16s, I think it was, up there for Subi Floriot, where we had to travel. Yeah. So, you know, Dad would take me up. It was an 8 o'clock start. They wanted us there at 7. We are living in Bunbury. No no um, freeway or highway in those days. No. You were going through Mandra and yeah. through the back blocks of bloody whatever it was, 
um, before the highway came in. And you know, it's a good two, two and a quarter hour drive those days. So, you know, I remember mum would make me breakfast, dad would get a cup of tea or something like that, I'd get water, whatever it was, Milo probably, and my pillow. Yeah. You know, try and get an extra hour or two yeah. sleep in the car when we're leaving yeah. at, had to be at seven, we're probably leaving at, uh, you know, quarter to five, half four on a Saturday morning. And um, so the, the K's and the hours and the time that mum and dad put into my junior career in particular, um, it was phenomenal and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. They gave me every opportunity yep. um, that I could have or I could want. So that was awesome. Um, as I say, all, all the coaches and and now just my, my family today, um, all my kids uh, have been very supportive. They love their cricket. Braden's doing great things at Marist. Ellie's very you know, influential on the girls' team, doing the great stuff. Cooper's come along nicely, um, now playing you know, senior cricket and doing well. Um, and Josh, uh, Josh was never really into cricket, but um, still a big part of my life. And, yeah. Uh, now he's got a daughter, so I'm a, I'm a granddad now, Rob. All right. So um, had her last night, so she's, uh, she's a little champion. Yep. Um, but, yeah, just, uh, all my teammates throughout the time. Uh, I've got some great friendships out there now and great memories, great stories. And uh, I, I love catching up with whoever over a beer and just reminiscing. There's no, no doubt about that. So. All right, good segue, good segue, yep. because we're going to finish. Uh, those who tune in regularly know that we uh, finish with... Uh, a little thing that I call the super over. Yes. Six six questions, yep. six rapid questions. You can answer them in any way you like. Uh, so we're going to, you know, I'm, as I did many times over my career, I'm, I've got the awesome task of trying to knock you over, which I never think I ever did. But uh, I don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> couple <laughs> of leg side stumpings from Davey A. A couple of leg side stumpings might have come along here. So first question, good segue from what you just said. First question, you've got to think of this one quickly. You can have three former teammates over for tea tonight. Who are they going to be? Oh, three former teammates. Ah, oh, crikey. From ACCC, Marist, whoever you like. Yeah. I'd like to get uh, Ben Ward back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, Ben's uh, uh, another former legend of WA Country Cricket who sadly passed away a couple yeah. of years ago. Amazing guy. Yeah. A champion fella. Yeah. Uh, brilliant cricketer. Yeah. But awesome guy to, to sit down and chew the fat with and, yep. and have a beer with. Yeah. Um, loved life. Told some great stories. And hit a big ball. Because uh, uh, yeah, we talked about Sav. I yeah. can remember Wardy hitting me on Forest Park West onto the uh, train tracks up the far end. And we never got the ball back. We, we last <laughs> heard it heading towards Istanbul, we yeah. believe. So. <laughs> Yeah, Wardy, Wardy was the type of cricketer that would, if he was around today, T, T, T20 cricket yeah. would be just perfect for him. Yeah. Um, bat, bowl, field, yep. you name it, he did it. Yeah. And did all three aspects very, very well. So yeah. Um, it was my roomie back in um, my first tour as well. So yeah. pretty special memories there. Uh, so he's one. Crikey, we might have to edit this out, all this, this gap in between. We, it's a tough one. Too, too many to choose too from. Many, I've yeah. Obviously, got some uh, lots of teammates out there. Yeah. Um, and some great memories. Um, yeah. How about I have 23 yes. instead? Yeah. Have, have, yeah. A, have we'll, a big party. We'll work with that. Yeah. We'll work with that. Um, this is a tough question. This, uh, this one I might actually knock you over. You've had some challenges in your career, and I know one of them was having to switch clubs yep. at one point. How challenging was that, and is there any regrets there, or any things that you you know you, you look back now and go you might have done differently? Uh, and just to quickly set the record straight, I didn't have to change clubs. Yep, um, I, I chose because I tell you the quick little side story to it. I was obviously been captain at Marsh for a long time. But thought it was time now to, you know, hand the reins over to um, Spinner, who'd been vice captain for three or four years now. And um, I thought, you know, it's the right sort of time. I can still play, help him out on the field if need be. It'd still be guidance there. So we did that for a year. We won the flag. Yeah. You know, so I, I shouldn't have been unhappy or anything like that. But I, I missed, I missed the captaincy. I missed being in charge. Um, I found it really difficult to bite my tongue on the field, 
Because if I saw something that I think I would have done, I'm trying not to step on Spinner's toes. So I sort of let him go and we won the, the flag. So yep. no regrets. But I just needed a, a new challenge um, and it came along that I was um, good friends with Tyron Piggers at the time at Eton and we were talking one night. You know, how, how he's trying to recruit this West Indian to eat and all this stuff. I said, mate, the best recruits are from in your own association. Yeah. Because it makes you stronger and the other, other team weaker. Yeah, good. And he just, he picked up what I was putting down. Yeah. And within 24 hours, I was sitting down with the committee of Eaton Career Club and they've offered me the captain coach. So... So I, it was I, more about opportunity and a challenge? Oh, a challenge. Yeah. For me, it was a challenge. Yeah. And, yeah. and you talk about challenges, Rob, it's none bigger. That, yeah. You know, the Eaton guys at the time, the A-grade team, hadn't won a game for two years. Yep. Hadn't yep. won an A-grade game for two years. So I yep. thought, well, if I can just help them improve a little bit, you know, impart some of my knowledge and experience, then that would be, for me, a, a feather in my cap and an achievement. You know, towards the end of my career, I'm getting out of cricket, sort of in, sorry, out of playing, into coaching type stuff. Yep. Um, and that was the first sort of, you know, dip the toes in the water. Uh, so that's the reason I, I sort of went. I didn't want to go ask for the captaincy back. Righto, let's have another uh, challenge somewhere else. And it was just happened to be that uh, Eaton were there at the right place at the right time and, yep. and they asked the question. Yep. So yep. Uh, don't have any regrets. You know, they're now going great guns. Yeah. And hopefully some of the stuff that I introduced to that club, you know, in a small way is part of their success now. Uh, and, no and one of their players did send me a message uh, just recently, you know, when they won a flag, said, you know, part of this is yours. So that was that was nice to hear and yep. uh, appreciate that, you know, they see um, they had an effect there. So that's good. So but, but I, very happy to go back to Marath and finish my career there. With, yeah. With where, where it started. Nice, nice way to yeah, finish. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Not that you're totally finished. I see you still had a game earlier this year and then... And, and, Toted out a lazy 60 from what I saw. So, uh, yeah, no, just, just feeling in for the boys is so great. Yeah, no, nothing wrong with that. Good on you. Um, so, on that point, if you could target one period or a team, who were your toughest opponents in the BDCA in your time? Yeah, well, we've, we've mentioned this pre- previously Harvey and the Harvey Marsh rivalry was, was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other team in that time as well was Colts. Colts, yeah. So it was the three of us were really standouts. Um, other teams had some good individual players, but the three of us had that much depth. It wasn't funny. So if it wasn't a – sorry, one of us would win the flag, the other one was in the grand final, the other one would be knocked off in the prelim final. It was a good five, six, seven-year period. Yeah. Uh, and some awesome cricket uh, by some great cricketers and, and good times. As I said earlier, you know, hard, tough cricket it was. Yeah. Um, so – I can't go past Harvey and Colts, put them on a, a level pegging. Uh, I've asked this question, we're at, the, we're at the fourth delivery of the over, or I've asked this question before, thinking WA country cricket, what's your favourite country cricket ground that you've played at? So outside of Metro, around wet, regional Western Australia, if there was an oval that you had the opportunity to go back and play at every time, oh, what would it be? I heard, Rob, I heard your question... To Watto and I think it might have been Jared. Um, this same question, I'm, and I've been thinking about it myself. There's some great country uh, ovals out there, um, but for me, home ground is is always pretty special. Yeah. So I, I love Forest Park, um, but for purely for scenery and things like that, you, you can't go past the recreation ground. Nah, no, you can't. Can you know, with the the water right there. Yeah. It's it's pretty special. Those guys are very very lucky to yep. play there and train there, you know, every week. So um, that would be up there. All right, fifth delivery. You're going well. You're you're well on away to your thirty first hundred for your <laughs> career. Uh, what uh, other than the Sav match is there one game that in particular sticks out in your memory in your career? Uh, hard to pinpoint one, Rob, but any time that I won a flag or a premiership or a carnival or whatever it may be, yeah. and I've been fortunate, I've been in a lot of successful teams, you know, club cricket, country cup, country week, you know, loved going out there representing Bunbury and knocking off the other country guys. So I won quite a few, won three 
country weeks in a row, couple of country cups, of course, three country 11s. Any one of those. Pick just, one. No, nah, I can't. No, nah, nah, Love yeah, them all. Yeah. Love any flag. Uh, all great memories. All great teammates. Great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. I've got to tell you, if I was uh, ever asked, there is one game involving you that I remember uh, that sticks out in my memory, I think, in a few other guys. Uh, you'll, you might choose to have forgotten about it. The first time Harvey ever beat BDCA at Senior Country Week out at Lilac Hill in Midland. We, uh, we knocked you guys over and uh, we'd never done it before. And I can remember Kevin Gartrell absolutely giving it to you after the match. So it's the, once he became aware that it was the first time Harvey had ever beaten Bunbury at, uh, in the BDCA. So you're, you're choosing to uh, uh, conveniently forget it and I don't blame <laughs> you because we thought it was like the greatest thing that had ever happened. So, yeah, uh, I do vaguely remember it, Robert, but to me, because it, it wasn't special to us, we'd lost. Yeah. Uh, probably not great memory, so yeah, it's probably gone that uh, part just, that you don't remember. I'm surprised that you don't remember the base thing you got from Kevin Gartrell. Oh, anyway, Gartie, yeah. he was a great mentor. Uh, so actually, a bit of a side story. Quickly, I went to Slater Gartrell's for my work experience. Yes, I remember you one year. telling me this, yes. And I uh, spent all the time, didn't sell anything or learn anything about selling. <laughs> I spent all the time at the back because they had a cricket pitch in yeah. the net at the back, so I was either on the bowling machine or kick, kicking a footy <laughs> with, with Guardy and Spud Slater. How lucky was I, you know, at 15 years of age. All right, we're at, we're at the sixth delivery, yes, and a big shout-out to Kevin Gartrell, who's a big supporter of WA yeah. Country Cricket over the journey. Absolutely. Last question. We started this on a very sad note, talking about uh, the passing of the great Shane Keith Warren. Um, we, i got to call out the fact that one of the things that Warney was will probably forever be famous for was his uh, his uh, love of baked beans. Yeah. And uh, I think he famously took you know, a truckload of it to India or something for a tour once. You're on tour. You're on ACCC. What's the one food that you go to every time on a, on a cricket tour? We've all got something that we uh, we look forward to on, on the tour. Well, I've never been to India, so wherever I've been on tour, be it Country Week or Country 11... Uh, been fortunate to stay in you know, a, a hotel of some description where they'd have breakfast. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I like bacon and eggs. You know, I'm a pretty plain guy, but um, <laughs> the old bacon egg on toast, coffee, uh, gets me going for the day, that's fine. Isn't it funny you say that? I've had guys, we, we our uh, Country Week uh, place for probably 20 years was the Metro Inn on Canning Highway, and I've had guys tell me in recent years that they only used to come to Country Week for the breakfast at <laughs> oh, Metro Inn, not for the cricket. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, yeah you're onto yeah. it. Dero, Glenn, whatever you tote by these days, Master Blaster, I think George used to call you in the uh, the paper, uh, Mate, it's been an absolute privilege. I hope uh, you've enjoyed it. Absolutely, hope, yeah. Hope Thanks, you... Rob. Appreciate the uh, the invite and the opportunity. So, hope the listeners enjoy it. I'm sure they and, will. And well done again on this uh, great idea. Thanks, Glenn. Good, mate. Thanks for your time. Well, that's it. Episode six complete, parts A and part B. Thanks to Steve Phillippe for joining us on part A and a very special thanks to Glenn Deering for sharing his story and his journey in part B. And we want to continue to thank you for tuning in and listening to each episode of Out on the Paddock. We look forward to you doing that again in episode seven very soon. And it's our desire for you to stay safe and to play well. 